Hi, I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. Happy Tuesday evening, everybody. I had a totally different conversation and podcast queued up and ready to go and be released either today or the next day. And I was struggling with getting the energy to finish it. And of course, synchronistically, I now realize that was because I was supposed to release this episode today instead. Um, We'll still get to the other one, I promise. But it just felt like this conversation, which I had today with my friends Eliza, Kestrel, and Jasmine, um, all astrologers who have a podcast called Cosmic Tonic, uh, just seemed like this conversation wanted to be released out into the world today. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, I wanted to release it today for a couple of reasons. First of all, we spoke very broadly about sun signs, rising signs, and um, moon signs, but we also spoke about the full moon that's happening today, the Cancer full moon. And I think for those of you that are interested in learning more about astrology, obviously one of the ways to learn is to sort of know about whatever transits are going on out there in the cosmos and be able to relate that to your individual experience. So for all of you to be able to hear us talk about cancer, talk about these themes, talk about how they're showing up for us, I thought that it would be educational and meaningful to be able to reflect on all of that in real time for all of you. Of course, um, you may be listening to this podcast not on Tuesday, December 29th, Um, and most of the podcast is not about the Cancer full moon, so it will all still be relevant, Uh, but for those of you that are available to listen to this tonight or in the next couple of days, just really thinking about how Cancer is showing up for you, um, I thought would be cool, and also Cancer uh, to me is a very communal sign. It's a very like gather together in a warm house by a fire and share a meal and share a story and talk and love each other and spend time together. Um, and so even though, you know, I am disconnected from all of you through mic wires and technology and lots of, uh, geographic distance, um, it just felt like the right thing to do to sort of, um, spend time with all of you, even through the airwaves on this cancer full moon, hopefully one day in the future, when COVID is a distant memory and we can all gather together, uh, perhaps this cancer new moon ritual could be a bit more personal, but for now it seemed, uh, like the best we can do in these weird times. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, uh, obviously, as you may have noticed, if you are a regular listener, that I am having Jasmine Kestrel Eliza on the podcast more frequently. Um, although I've, I started out the podcast talking a lot about astrology and I was actually doing readings at the time. Um, I took a big break from it for multiple reasons, uh, which I've been talking about throughout different episodes, um, and might expand upon in more detail in the future. 
Uh, but anyway, I'm sort of back at it and approaching it in new ways and ways that feel right and authentic to me. Um, so one of those things is that I'm going to keep having Eliza Kestrel and Jasmine on the show. If you are not interested in astrology, just feel free to skip those episodes. <laughs> um, but I, it's something that's really important to me and meaningful to me and something that I feel called to share with all of you, um, because I'm not a huge fan of sort of pop astrology and conventional astrology. So instead of just complaining about that, I figured I would uh, try my best to exemplify a version of astrology that uh, does feel really aligned and something that I'd like to share. So I'm going to be having them on the show more frequently. Um, but in order to sort of accommodate that and help all of you understand what we're talking about and get more out of those episodes, I figured that offering some sort of astrology 101 basics course might be useful to all of you. A lot of you message me who have been listening or following for a while asking if I'm still doing readings, and I don't think I'm going to be doing readings again, at least not anytime soon, but I do feel really called to teach all of you how to use astrology yourself. So readings are great, uh, reading other people's interpretations are great, but I really don't think there is any better of a way to approach this than to learn these tools yourself because they are extremely accessible and you just get so much more when you're able to dive into it in a myriad of ways from books to just experiencing, you know, the archetypes and elements and nature and all of that. Um, so I am going to be offering an astrology 101 workshop. It's going to happen through Patreon. So I'm going to be offering this course live via Zoom um, or via recording if you can't make it live to every patron at every level. So one of the benefits that I offer for the $10 a month people and up is that we're going to be doing workshops. So sometimes these are going to be patron-led, led by other patrons. Sometimes it's going to be former guests. Sometimes it's going to be me. Uh, all of those, most of those are going to be at the $10 and up level, but this in particular, this astrology 101 course taught by me is going to be available for patrons at every level. Now, if you're just interested in this course, you don't want to sign up to be a patron long-term. That's totally fine. Just go to patreon.com slash Anya Kotz, sign up for $5 a month, and then cancel it after the course. I'm totally fine with that. If you decide to stay on longer than that, um, that's also totally cool. Uh, but basically just doing it this way instead of having you guys Venmo me or something like that. So patrons at all levels will have access to this. It's happening January 5th. I believe it's 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time to accommodate at least for as many U.S. time zones as possible. Um, it's going to be long. It's probably going to be a few, a few hours because there's a lot to cover. Um, but I'm going to be talking about how to calculate your natal chart online for free how to identify your chart's planetary ruler. Uh, we talk about the planetary ruler in the discussion you're about to hear. Tips for how to read an astrology chart on your own. Brief archetypal overview of planets, signs, and houses. Introduction to transits, retrogrades, and aspects. Mistakes to avoid when learning or practicing astrology. Tips and rituals for integrating archetypal alchemy into your life. Um, by the way, I'm like reading a list in case this sounds like a very disjointed uh, intro all of a sudden, um, my response to common skepticisms about astrology and resources for how to learn more. Um, and there's a lot more information that you can see on Patreon about what we're going to talk about as well. So yeah, I think that's all I'm going to say. I'm just going to let you listen to this conversation. If you have any questions about the course, if you have any questions about, uh, Patreon in general, 
please shoot me a DM on Instagram, uh, email me on yakats at gmail.com, lots of ways to connect. So I know there can be a lot of information floating around about how to gain access to things. So if you're interested, do not hesitate to ask questions. Um, with all that said, I'm going to play you in today with a song called Petrichor, which is funny because um, I wanted to play a song or I wanted to play multiple songs, that is, uh, that reminded me of cancer and and um, reminded me of the archetype of today's full moon in cancer. And this is one of the ways that I feel like astrology has brought so much meaning to my life because it's an all-encompassing experience, you know? So I go out into the world, I take a walk, I'm looking at things, I'm viewing animals, I'm listening to music, I'm listening to people talk, I'm having different thoughts, and all of those in my mind are sort of organized into these elements, into these um, symbol symbolic archetypes. And it's cool. It's, it's, it's sort of like, I don't know, living in an, in an endlessly kind of psychedelic world or something. Um, and there's so many synchronicities, so many things you don't even necessarily know or connected or, uh, don't necessarily know will give you more insight about something, but they do. And this song that I'm going to play for you, I just decided I was going to play it because it reminded me of cancer. It reminded me of like waves in the ocean and water and depth. And of course, then I'm like, oh, okay, what the hell does petrichor mean and how do I pronounce it? So I looked up petrichor online and it just so happens to mean a pleasant smell that frequently accompanies the first rain after a long period of warm, dry weather. So obviously the person who wrote this song, whose name is Keaton Henson, um, obviously knew what the word meant, I assume, and wrote the music uh, sort of symbolically representing that word. But of course, I didn't know what the word was, and that sort of symbolic musical representation of an archetype came through for me regardless. And yeah, that's just one of the teeny little ways that this magic just keeps reappearing. So I hope to be able to offer and share some of that magic with you as well through this conversation, through our astrology class on Patreon, and through further episodes exploring all of these themes. So enjoy. Love to you all. Have a beautiful, nurturing, safe, calm, <laughs> and comforting Cancer full moon.
so I am here with some of my favorite women on the Cancer Full Moon, which is very appropriate for lots of reasons. We're going to talk about the full moon tonight at the end of the podcast. Um, but today I wanted to bring these ladies back on to explore astrology a bit more on this podcast. Um, and we, uh, well, it was really Kestrel's idea. The rest of us can't really take any credit, but um, she thought it would be a good idea to talk about the sun, moon and rising, which is like a brilliant idea, I think, because um it's sort of simple and like rudimentary, I feel like, to understanding astrology and understanding a chart. But also the thing I think when people start to learn astrology that they don't totally have information about or can't comprehend. So they're thinking mostly about their sun sign or they're just like not really sure what the difference is between all these things and whether your moon or your rising is important and how to figure that out. So this felt this felt like a very good uh, building block, I think. So thank you, Castro, for that idea. Um, so yeah, so <laughs> we're going to go around and expand upon broadly speaking, what the sun, moon and rising means, why it's important talk a bit about how these show up in our own personal natal charts. And then also talk a bit about how, uh, where we may share, uh, certain placements, they show up differently between all of us. Um, and then end talking a bit about what's going on astrologically right at this moment and what sort of tracking uh, moon cycles, um, how that can sort of help us understand the archetypes in general in our own chart. So um, yeah, thank you ladies for coming on the show again. Um, so yeah, let's jump right into it. Uh, we figured we'd start talking about the rising sign. Um, so Eliza, take it away. <laughs> okay, uh, the rising sign, which is also known as the ascendant, is the sign that was rising on the eastern horizon at the moment of your birth. Um, you can also cast charts for any event. So if you get married and you want to know what the ascendant is, it would be the sign that's rising in the east at the moment of your birth. Um, say the moment that you declare your vows or the priest or the government official pronounces you whatever and whatever. <laughs> um, so anyway, but let's not overcomplicate things prematurely. <laughs> so th with that said, the ascendant, I like to see it as the, the sign that represents our merging with the world, with the world, partly because the ascendant moves faster than any other thing in the chart. You go through the entire zodiac in a 24-hour period. So the sign that's rising shifts every two hours or so, if not faster. Um, it's also what's determined by your location and, of course, by the exact minute. So that's why when you're looking up your natal chart for the first time, you need your birthplace and you need your birth time. Because if you are, if you have two people, say, born on September 14th, 1985, and at both at 7.29 a.m., and one person's in, uh, I don't know, Acapulco, and the other person is in Shanghai, they're going to have radically different charts based on um, their, their respective latitude and longitude, because... Our perspective of the cosmos depends on where we're located on Earth. 
So with that said, um, the ascendant is one of the four angles. And so it has a way of anchoring the sky down onto the square into the square foot of earth that we're occupying. Um, it can be, I find it can be more obvious to other people than to you yourself at first. So, um, if you're reading kind of a cookbook astrology, uh, text or like a more beginner text, they'll describe the ascendant as your personality. And, you, you know, you can see this in the language I started out with the beginning in terms of our, our merging with the world or our interface with the world. It's like the clothes that we're wearing, the skin that we're wearing. Um, I personally can guess people's ascendant much easier than I can guess people's sun sign. It's, it's their most obvious traits. It's how they, um, how they present, how they appear often um, in, in manner, in style, more so than their sun, which maybe more hidden, even though we often know our sun signs um, more readily than we know our ascendant. Um, but with that said, we don't always have the best awareness of it. <laughs> I think it's a, a perspective thing. It's like, it's, it, you don't always have the best perspective of your own um, clothing because you're, you're not getting a full view of yourself. So um, it was a surprise to me when I learned my ascendant which is Leo. <laughs> it's no longer a surprise to me. <laughs> it feels very, I feel very at home in that Leo archetype, but, and I see how it manifests. But when I first started learning about astrology, I was surprised. Um, so maybe that's a good place to start us off. It, it's, it's kind of like a, a filter or a stained glass window that other people are viewing ourselves through and also that we're viewing the world through, even if we don't know it. I'm curious, Eliza, what that, uh, why you first felt surprised when you learned about Leo rising and why that no longer confuses you. Like what was that sort of journey? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, when I was younger and this would have been when I was first starting to get my feet wet in astrology, I was really, really, really shy. And I always um, associated Leo with being a very extroverted and, um, uh, let's say, attention-loving sign. I didn't recognize the ways that I do crave attention <laughs> or crave being received by others as necessarily being leonine in the same way. Because for me, it's not like needing to be at the center of a stage. It's being acknowledged for... Um, my work or for something that I've worked really hard on or for certain, um, yeah, efforts or pursuits that I may have, but it's a different, it's a different kind of sunlight that I crave than say being at the very center of something. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have come to recognize that as being very Leonine actually. And, and we all like Leo people, I think all crave, visibility or that sunlight in different ways it can be from one person like from a partner or it can be um just being seen and being recognized and being understood by like your close ones by friends or it, I think it can be really wanting that recognition on a larger scale um or just taking up like be, having a solar presence in the room where the, the room kind of gravitates around you. I know Leo people like that as well. Um, so 
I guess the way the, the the stereotypes I had in mind around Leo didn't seem to fit my perception of myself. Mm. Um, I think I've almost become more stereotypically Leo <laughs> as I've gotten older <laughs> and welcomed that. <laughs> um, yeah. Thanks. No, that, yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. It's interesting. The perception thing too. like think I have a lot of Leo rising friends actually. Um, and of course, like all of these things show up differently, but there is, there is a sort of physical embodiment. I feel like to Leo mm-hmm. risings, that's very visible, like different even than Leo sons. Like you just like that sort of like, sort of like a performative is the wrong word, but like, um, uh, yeah, like Leonian, like, regal type of um Mm. presence i feel like i sense a lot anyway um cool so jasmine and kestrel do what do you guys have to add to rising signs and then you two share a rising sign so let's talk about that (laughs) well one thing that i wanted to note and what you were just talking about eliza is why you might be surprised by or you were surprised by the fact that you were Leo rising. And I'm wondering if you feel like it has to do with your chart ruler and how you figure out the chart ruler is by your rising sign. So the sun rules Eliza's chart and she has a sun in Sagittarius. And when I think about how you embody that Sagittarian energy and your association with higher learning and the fact that you're a writer and how you really value those principles of the Sagittarius archetype and how it's associated with how you want that recognition, I'm wondering if you could talk to the audience a little bit about the association between the planetary ruler of your chart and how it's linked to your rising sign. Yeah, for sure. No, that's a great point. Um, so just to define that or break that down more for the audience, the every sign has a ruler and it is said that the planet that rules your first house or your ascendant is the, is your chart ruler and they're Some astrologers place as much emphasis on the chart ruler as they place on the sun, moon, rising, if not more. Um, What's interesting with my chart and with any Leo rising chart is that because it, and same with cancer rising actually, but in reverse, um, you're getting a double focus on, on the luminary because Leo rules, Leo is ruled by the sun and cancer is ruled by the moon. So if you have a Leo or, or cancer rising chart, then your chart ruler will either be the sun or the moon. And for Leo, it's the sun. Um, so it, it kind of, it does doubly highlight the sun as a, as a planet of importance for me. And for, for me, it's located in the fifth house. And I do associate that with um, creative self-expression and not just children. And so writing books, like to me, that's my prodigy. <laughs> Those are my babies in a way. Um, and... But but also what's interesting is that I was born at night, so technically my luminary of sect or my the the luminary that would have been lighting up the sky would not have been the sun, but it would have been the moon. And I feel my my lunar placement very prominently as well, and we'll get into that later in the podcast. Um, but what you end up seeing is that both the moon and both the sun are almost doubly highlighted, and I think 
the my moon and my sun are in some ways more obvious, at least to me in some ways, and to me when I was younger, than that Leo quality. So what you'll have is the chart ruler will in some ways shade or, or shape how this how um how your ascendant expressed itself if i have if i was a leo rising and my sun was in um cancer in the 12th that would be radically different i might be more um hidden in some way or more reticent more more reluctant to step into the light if i had the sun in the 10th i might be um in a more visible way, trying to lead a group or like a, uh, a company or, you know, I might be in a more visible leadership position. Um, so how the, the ruler of your ascendant can change how we interpret that makeup. Um, and Anya, I know you have maybe some words or some experiences to share around that. Should we go through what all of the planetary rulers yeah. are first? Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Let's do that. So just really quickly. Go for it. <laughs> just, <laughs> just super quickly. The um, Leo rising. I don't know. Like, I'm really confused about <laughs> how that shows up. <laughs> just yeah, the show. To be fair, that could also be the moon. <laughs> I'm blushing. Look, I'm the color of all the fire in my chart. Um, Yeah, so Aries is ruled by Mars. Uh, Taurus is ruled by Venus. Gemini is ruled by Mercury. Cancer is ruled by the moon. Leo, the sun. Virgo, Mercury. Libra, uh, Venus. Scorpio, Mars, and then the modern ruler we say is Pluto. Not every astrologer uses modern rulerships, but I'll give them both for folks because they tend to be spoken of quite a lot. Um, Sagittarius, Jupiter, Capricorn, Saturn, and Aquarius, um, also Saturn and Uranus would be the modern ruler, and then Pisces is Jupiter, and the modern ruler is Neptune. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so chart rulers. Yeah, for me, this was a very, very interesting discovery. Um, I'm my, I have my son in Leo and very much identified with that. Um, and But learning about my Aries ascendant and my Mars rulership, um, yeah, was a pretty eye-opening uh, discovery for me, partially because, um, yeah, so I'm in Aries rising, which means Mars rules my chart, but I also have Mars in Aries. So Mars is showing up in the sign that it rules, um, in my first house. So, uh, that made a lot of sense to me. I've always been someone who, uh, (laughs) I don't know about aggressive is the right word, but sort of like opinionated and sort of like showed up at a party. I was going to say to ascendant to me, it's like first impression, you know, like you meet someone and that first interaction you have with them is normally an expression of their rising, I think. And then once you get to know them, you see them for like a being a complex person. But um, 
uh, yeah, I would definitely sort of like give off the air of confidence and uh, courage or bravery or just like being the one to say the thing and like having the balls to say something other people didn't. And even if on the inside I was like full of fear and anxiety and like imposter syndrome, which is definitely true, I definitely showed up in the world in a very like Martian kind of a way. Um yeah, to the and and I think it really I made this discovery I think like around the time I decided to have the podcast and um it really sort of grounded the project for me and like this is one of my personal skill sets like being able to show up and yes this has to do with my son as well. <laughs> my the interesting thing about my chart is that I have a trine between my ascendant and my son. It's actually a grand trine in fire with Saturn and Uranus as well, but there is a definite conversation and correlation between my Leo son, which is like, you know, yes, sort of attention seeking, but sort of also just not like, I don't have, I've never had stage fright, really. It's very comfortable for me to like be up in front of people coupled with the Aries rising and the Mars rulership, which is just like, yeah, like really confidently stepping up on the stage. Um, so yeah, and and to sort of broaden the discussion a bit about chart rulerships, like not only can this help people understand for them what might be a very prominent um, archetype in their chart, but also looking at it in terms of transit. So like for me, because I have a Mars rulership, any time that Mars in the sky transits a part of my chart, um, or uh, yeah, anytime there is a transit that uh, correlates to my natal Mars, these transits are very intense and like way sometimes way more obvious than other transits might be. Um, I've had Mars in Aries in my first for the past like six months, I think it's been. It retrograded. Now it's like just coming up on my ascendant. Um, and it's been... Uh, yeah, it's important for many reasons. One, to sort of just like ground myself in my own experience and know that like who I feel like I am is really who I am. Um, but also because Mars is needs to be managed, I think, um, especially in my chart. So I uh, spent a lot of time in my life like not doing what I felt passionate about. And I think Mars has a lot to do with passion, like that will of like, what do I want? I'm going to go get it. And if I don't do that, if I don't follow that energy that energy stagnates in my body and becomes like physically expressive through like health issues or anger, a very first house experience. Um, so that's important, I think, too, in, in recognizing in our charts, like what is a really prominent energy and what isn't, and then working to sort of like um, uh, promote that energy in a healthy way, remediate it if it needs remediation. Uh, but yeah, I... This this energy is so prominent that I literally have a Mars tattoo on my finger, which which was in and of itself a very Martian decision. Like it was very impulsive. I went to go get my oil change on my car and um, was going through a lot of shit and was like breaking up with someone and just like, oh, I'm going to like do my own life and like be independent and like Mars. Yeah. And like walked from the car dealership. Like, I just Googled, like, tattoo parlor and walked right there, and I was like, I need this thing on my pointer finger. Um, and, yeah, I got it. I got it on my pointer finger on my left hand um, because I felt like I had sacrificed my independence and autonomy, very Mars things, for relationship. 
um, and can talk a bit more about this when we get to the moon, but my moon is a very different energy. (laughs) Um, so I got Mars on my left hand because I thought to myself, if I ever like get married again and wear a wedding wedding ring, I wanted like my independent autonomous self to be equally as present as whatever sort of partnership that I had. I don't think I'll ever wear a wedding ring again, but still symbolically, it still made sense to me. Um, so yeah, that was my very long explanation of my of my rising sign and my chart ruler. I love that so much. Mars is known to be very impulsive and just to be like, fuck it, I'm getting a tattoo today now. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting too because I actually think that for me, impulsive decisions often are like the most grounded i know that sounds weird but they're they come from such a sort of like pure place they're not uh, busied by or like watered down by like all the other like anxiety or second guessing or like codependency in my chart so um yeah it's been interesting to reflect on on decisions i've met in the past that are just like total like without a doubt like I'm doing this no matter what energy and Mm -hmm. how I think profoundly important those have been in my in my life and evolution how long have you had that tattoo okay so I got it spring of uh it was like the spring we started the apprenticeship it must have been 2018 2018 yeah and what do you feel like has changed since you've (laughs) had that tattoo um, oh man, so much, so much. Um, but yeah, I think, and again, this, this has a lot to do with my chart in particular, the fact that I have an opposition between my, um, Aries ascendant and my Libra moon, um, when it comes to autonomy and partnership, those could not really be more like divergent energies. Um, So I just, I think since I got this tattoo on both sides of the equation, actually, like with my moon and my, my ascendant, my Mars, I, I really feel like I've learned how important it is for me to balance these two things to really like find my way into the middle of that opposition and not overemphasize independence and autonomy and not over um, emphasize relationship and partnership, Mm. but really be able to figure out how to have those two work together instead of being like a constant seesaw. Cause that was definitely me. Like I'm all into this relationship mm-hmm. and now like, I'm not going to be with anyone. It was just like, Whoa, like so extreme ends of the spectrum. So to, to figure out how to have autonomy within a relationship, for example, um, in both an energetic and experiential sense, that's, that's, I mean, not even just changed. I was so totally ignorant, I think to, to any of these archetypes truly before I learned astrology. So in that sense, yeah, much has changed. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm curious to hear about Jasmine and or Kestrel's Virgo rising experience or, or anything you guys want to add to the ascendant discussion before we move on. Yeah, so Jazz and I are both Virgo risings, and it might be interesting to explore the difference between us a wee bit, but I... I definitely was not surprised, I guess, as much to discover I was a Virgo rising because I have a Leo sun. And I just never really resonated with some of the descriptors that we've put out about Leo. But um, 
it's it's interesting to think about this with jazz and if you want to chime in let me know but i have venus on the ascendant and my chart ruler is mercury so i think maybe in one of our other conversations on anya's podcast we've talked about that alchemical goddess or aphrodite and i think one of the things that's really helped me understand myself and also understand my rising is having venus there ruled by Mercury and really getting to know this planet is I understand a bit more how people receive me and how I so enjoy experiencing others through how they experience me. It just tends to be a very alchemical, magnetic um, kind of brilliance where there's just that oftentimes love at first sight or this really um, sparkly energy that comes up for me in how I experience myself and how others experience me, which which could speak to the sun, but I really resonate more with my rising and it's, it's all opposing my moon. But I also, um, with that Virgo rising, can really suffer from overanalyzing everything mm-hmm. and then flowing to the other freaking side of chaos and disillusionment and overwhelming emotion and wanting to merge with everything and not being able to discern between self and other. So I'm constantly walking that tightrope, but I think if I can, similar to you, working with those polarities of you know, the self and other, it's, it's also just getting into that flow and utilizing both that chaos and order, which, um, can leave one really just (laughs) in a puddle sometimes. So, but, um, that's been some of my experience and I'd be curious to have you put language to it as well, Jazz, because I know you've got a different, um, planet that's visible on the ascendant for you yeah my experience is very different from from yours I have Saturn on the ascendant and what I've noticed about being a Virgo rising with the Saturn placement there is that I really value having a systematic approach to life and Saturn rules time and it's how we how we work through everything in our lives and if I don't feel like I can develop a system or have some sort of organization around how I'm approaching any of my processes then I definitely get into that more chaotic confused mindset that you were just talking about Kestrel too but it's it's different for me in the fact that you know having Saturn there versus Venus there there it's almost like a weight on my shoulders so it's like I have to do these things and I have to have the systematic approach in order to feel whole really yeah yeah, it's interesting. We all have that, the Virgo Pisces axis, uh, relatively prominently. Eliza, mm-hmm. you have your nodal axis is there, right? Yeah, I see it as that. Yeah. <laughs> it's if it, it depends yeah. on whether you use true or mean notes, but to mm. me, the Virgo Pisces makes more sense than Aries Libra. Yeah. I already have 
too much Aries. <laughs> <laughs> Don't need my North Node there, too. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I was just bringing that up because I know, Kestrel, you were talking about the fact that your moon is opposite, and just for people to understand that we're talking about Virgo and Pisces. Um, and that, yeah, I think, I, I mean, that shows up, we don't need to get into it, but it is interesting how I think that shows up for all of us and certainly shows up for me with a lot of women that I like share spiritual spaces containers with, um, this sort of like the Virgo side of sort of like ritual and routine and structure and the Pisces side of, of sort of like spirituality mm-hmm. and connecting to something deeper and how those things interact and, um, but yeah, um, so in terms of, I wanted to get all of your thoughts to you before we move on to the sun about um, what your thoughts are in terms of horoscopes and reading horoscopes from your rising as opposed to your sun. That's definitely something that I, I mean, I talk about reading them from multiple planets, but if one of you could sort of like talk about why that's, why that's relevant to read a horoscope from your rising sign instead of your sun sign. Yeah, I was I was going to mention that actually, so I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I write horoscopes not under my name. <laughs> we don't need to linger on that. <laughs> but I do, it's something I think a lot about, and it's something that I gained more awareness of after starting to write horoscopes. Um, you, The process of writing a horoscope is always going to be set by the sign that's on the first house cusp, a.k.a. the ascendant or the rising sign. So whether or not you realize it, uh, as horoscope readers in, in the audience, they're all written from the point of view of the ascendant. They just are. The fact, the only reason why people read their sun signs is because it's more accessible, because not everyone has their birth time. There is some um, wisdom or a sense to placing the sun in the first house if you don't know your birth time. And that's because the sun is a pretty uh, vulnerable and prominent um, placement in the chart. So you'll, for example, if you're having a Pluto transit to your natal sun, you'll feel that (laughs) just as you'd have, you'd feel Pluto moving through the first house. Um, So if you don't know your birth time, then I think it's fair to pretend your sun is your first house. Um, Equally, if you if you know, okay, I don't know my birth time, but I know I was born at night. I know it was sometime between like 6 p.m. and, I don't know, midnight. Then it might make sense to read from your moon. Um, but they, I think the only reason why anyone reads from their sun sign is because that's what we most know. We tend to know our birthday. Not always, but many of us know our birthday. Not all of us know our birth time. Um, and... Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because like what's happening in a horoscope for those who don't recognize this is that like the person writing the horoscope is taking into consideration what transits are happening at that given moment. And then they're talking about what those transit mean, those transits mean by house. So uh, if you have an Aries rising chart like I am, but I'm reading as if we're talking about Leo in the first house, that doesn't make any sense, right? Like I want to read from Aries rising, which means it would put my son in the fifth where it actually is. Um, so yeah, I think, I think I agree. I think the reason we read them from our sun signs is because people only know their sun sign and also because people have no idea what a horoscope is doing, you know? Like, <laughs> um, and that's, that's just really applying, trying to, without knowing you or your chart, apply broad transits to how, ha- to ha- 
houses, whatever may fall in those individual houses. Um, so yeah, I think it was, I think it's definitely important to read. I mean, it is interesting to read them from different planetary perspectives. So taking whatever is in the horoscope for like, let's say I were to read for Libra, like my moon to sort of look at whatever that horoscope says through the lens of the moon and the energies of the moon. But I think that's like a extracurricular exercise, not really the, the point of a horoscope. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> I don't read horoscopes um, for my sun sign anymore. I don't have yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm reading them, I read it yeah. for my ascendant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the other, the other point I wanted mm-hmm. to mention just briefly before we move on as well, that I was going to talk about before the ascendant is also like, you know, I think this is why getting to know and being able to understand and read your chart and look at your chart is really important um, because it grounds things in the real world. Like it grounds things in what the sky looked like. It's not just like random planets and signs and houses mixed up in your head. Um, and like in my chart, another reason that Mars factors in so prominently is because I was born at ten fifteen p.m. The moon had just set. The sun was below the horizon. There was literally no like visible planets above the horizon except for Mars and Mars was just about went retrograde 10 days after I was born so it was very very bright and very close um so there's like that that just the physical component to all of this too that I wanted to talk about that it's like not just about the planets not just about how they aspect each other but also like what was actually happening in the sky um plays a really important role and I think how prominently or not prominently or just how these things show up um so yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about the sun a bit. If you all feel ready to to move there, yeah. Yes, the sun is my favorite planet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I think that's from some Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> But I would describe or how I think about the sun is it's central to everything. It is always present. It is what everything else is revolving around. It's a life-giving force. It's radiance. It can be our expression, often creative expression, maybe our sanity, our spirit, our joy, um, Radiant contentment comes to mind. I always think about the sun as being something that's lighting up the space. And so depending on what house it's in, I I think it can really flavor what's going on for a person. Um, I have a Leo sun, for example. It's in the 12th house. And so it's in this very hidden place. It's something you cannot see from the ascendant. So like I was saying earlier, I just, I never felt like a Leo because it was something I couldn't see. Um, But when we put language to it of like, the unconscious of something becoming conscious or spirit. Um, It also takes place in a very spiritual part of my chart. And it just has this desire to, um, I guess, unconditionally connect with oneness in some way. Um, The 12th house is also very much about... um, mental health in some ways. I am a psychotherapist. So I think that 
my son really helps others um, discover parts of themselves and really um, be able to shine or resolve something for themselves as well. But yeah, those are some of the things that I would say about the sun. How about any of you? Would you add anything to the sun? I love that as a, well, you know, the sun rules my chart. So I I love that description of the sun. Um, I think, you know, in modern astrology, the sun can be linked to this idea of purpose or mission. And I, and I do find some value or truth in that. It's, it's like uh, this undercurrent that's guiding us or spearing us in a certain direction. And if you have the sun in the fourth house, that direction may be um, making home or, or um, rooting with family or, um, you know, nourishing something in a sort of midnight, like cradled way, a way that's cradled at the bottom of the chart. Um, if you have the sun in, let's say, you know, the second house, I, I well, which Jasmine has actually, there can be a... Um, some of that purpose might be uh, um, oriented toward resources and toward cultivating resources or, or having the resources to then, you know, go, go on with your path. But there, there is a heroic quality to the sun, I think. And so, and we, we often apply that language to Mars, but I think we can see it with the sun as well. The sun is our, the hero of the chart or the heroine of the chart. And so what are they striving for? A hero is always striving. Like, what is the sun striving for? Hmm. To speak obliquely about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that, that quest-like nature. Hmm. Um, one thing that I, that I wanted to say about the sun is the sun is at the center of our solar system. And one thing that I like to tell clients is that all the planets are revolving around the sun. So when we think of our sun being actualized, it comes at a point when we are able to embody everything else that's going on in our chart. So it's that moment in life where we feel like everything is just right. And those moments can be few and far between. So it's, it's important to really strive to understand not only like your son, like we were talking about before reading our horoscopes from the sun sign perspective, but to get to know what your rising sign is and your chart ruler is and what your moon is and all the other planets that are involved in your chart, because once you start to understand everything and how it's all working together is when the sun will really start to come alive for you. Mm-hmm. And it's also the sun is, or all the other planets are reflecting the light of that sun. So right. I think it's also just important to think about how it's giving light or illuminating everything else, or maybe even wisdom or like Eliza was saying that, that purpose. Yeah. And how you're watching, you know, if you're into astrology and you're studying it and you're watching the transits, the sun will transit your houses every month that it'll, you know, the sun takes 30 days to transit each sign. 
So what the sun will do, it'll illuminate that quality of that house in your chart. So you'll start to notice these themes will become more prominent depending on where the sun is transiting in your chart. Um, and that's a good perspective to, to when you're learning astrology or trying to get into astrology and you want to know more about the sun and how it shows up. That's something that you can easily follow just by, you know, Googling what the transits are and looking at your chart and, and, and start to associate how the sun as an archetype is, is illuminating whatever those themes are in the house associated with your chart. Um, so we talked a bit about Eliza's Sag sun and Kestrel's Leo sun. I want you to talk about your Libra sun, Jasmine. Well, Eliza, um, said a little bit about my son being in the second house and how it is associated with, with resources. But the one thing that I wanted to say about the Libra sun is, Um, Libra is an archetype of wanting to merge with other and, and really being able to, um, archetypally see themselves through other. And, um, it's, it's a sign of relationships and, what I've noticed about my Libra son being in the second house and the second house being associated with resources and money and what we value is from the time that I was able to be on my own, I have been in relationship and I've had very long-term significant relationships in my life. Um, and my resources are linked to other uh, ever since I was about, you know, 18, 19 years old, and I was in relationship. Um, and it's how I always perceive, my, get like obtaining my resources. And um, it, it's, it's through my partnerships with whether it be colleagues, or if it's my romantic partnerships, my resources definitely are always linked together with someone else and I'm comfortable that way and most Libras are yeah 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 it's I mean definitely with my Libra moon and all I guess all of us have a moon in the seventh is that what you were saying except Eliza (laughs) like no not me Um, um but yeah no the relational piece too yeah and I think I love what all of you guys said about the sun I you know, if we, I like thinking about it as like the light bulb. So nothing is real, nothing really exists if it weren't for the sun's light. Um, and everything is lit up through that. Uh, so yeah, I sort of, the sun to me is more of this like backbone energy or like grounding for everything else. Like I feel like, and again, for me, I do have a very prominent sun for multiple reasons uh it's in leo which it rules in the fifth house which is leo's house and it's training my ascendant and like there's all of these things um but i do certainly think you know maybe a little bit different from kestrel for example where it's a bit more hidden and she's having she has a harder time relating to it to me it feels so primary um and and you know if uh leo is sort of the ruler of even if you just think about like 
the lion in general and how lions spend their time <laughs> and uh, children, for example. Like if I'm not approaching everything from a from a place of like pleasure and fun and just sort of like being in the sun, <laughs> you know, in like a literal and symbolic way, it's like everything has to be filtered through that. I feel like no matter what I'm doing, like if it has to be rooted in this um, sort of sense of of like, yeah, of pleasure, of um, very like Leo. And it's interesting, too, to see how these things show up in families like my dad and my brother are also both Leos. Um, and I think all have pretty prominent Leo and to sort of see how that sort of passed down through, through the generations and how that energy feeds off each other. And I think, you know, I always, I remember like thinking about, you know, I'd be in a store, like a drugstore with my dad and he would just start like dancing to the music. And I just like felt like that was such a Leo thing, like just sort of finding the joy and the play in everything. Um, yeah, that definitely, that sort of. Yeah, so whatever your sun is, like that energy just being sort of like the informative ground on which everything else kind of rests. I mean, it's so fun for me to hear you talk about your sun and just make the distinctions. I'm also from a family of Leos. My mother's a Leo. She has a very visible Leo sun. So I think that was also confusing for me, not having such a visible Leo sun. I was like, wait, I should look more like this and more outgoing and more active. Yeah. I'm just not feeling it. But um, that heart centers piece really speaks to me, especially having it in the 12th house. I There was a part of me that always sort of felt like maybe I belonged in like a nunnery or an ashram. And I've recently been reading um, Mary Magdalene Revealed, and it's really been supporting that solar energy for me, mm. that heart energy. And, you know, discovering that what I was saying before about the, the Leo sun in the 12th or, or Leo in general is just that unconditional love and building that kind of secure identity and attachment with myself um as well and and knowing my worthiness and my purpose like not so much connected to other um and and just inviting the sun in more just like you were saying playing in the sun but just spending daily time letting the sun give me vitality even in the middle of winter, keeping that really profound relationship, because I know we're talking about it astrologically, but um, again, here I'm bringing up the psychotherapy. I think, you know, we have seasonal affective disorder as well. And it's really nice to make sure we're getting that daily dose of D and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and it is, I mean, from yeah. an elemental sense too, you know, um, like the sun is a big ball of fire and <laughs> it's a very it's a very like we all have you know the sun somewhere in our chart and so like what is that thing that gives us that like you know that physical feeling of the sun and that warmth but also symbolically just like yeah it's it's interesting to me to to think about it in terms of just like what feels good on my body, you know, like I'm a very fiery person. Like I like, I like heat and I like sun and I like sunlight. Um, I like other things too, but it is interesting to sort of reflect on like looking at this really from like a purely elemental level and, and where do you have that big sort of ball of fire really adding that warmth to. 
I think that's that can be an interesting exercise for for people. I've reflected on that a lot with my own, um, you know, thinking of the ascendant as being like a skin and thinking of the sun as ruling my skin. And I am truly most at ease and feeling most sensual body pleasure when I'm in like a puddle of sunlight. Like, you know, when the sun's just streaming in in the perfect way and you're just totally basking in that warmth, that is when I feel most at home. Whereas I know, um, Jasmine, maybe you can comment on this, but with your Pisces moon, I know that you're most at home in like a hot tub (laughs) or in a sauna or like in moisture, in water. Like you seem really to find that ease and that comfort in um, watery domains. Would you say that's true? Yes, this is very true. (laughs) This is very true. Well, Um, I also feel like talking about water now is a very good segue to talk about the moon. On this day in particular. <laughs> to talk about yeah. the moon. Sure, sure, sure. Let's do it. So the moon cycles the zodiac every 27 and a half or 28 days. You get a little technical for everyone. And it spends two and a half days in each sign. So if the rising sign is how the world sees us, the moon is how we see the world or like our internal process. Um, It can be linked to conception and birth. It tends to be linked with the mother archetype as well or how we're nurtured. So we could be nurtured by our mother or we could be nurtured by our father or a maternal sort of figure if it's not necessarily our biological mother or father. Um, it's linked to our emotional states. Uh, it's also our instinctual nature. Um, it's linked to our, like what we see as giving us security. And it tends to have a governing influence over our early childhood, uh, before our individual awareness starts to come into play uh, before like our personal will takes hold. Um, I personally have a Pisces moon, which we've all touched on (laughs) in this episode. And what I've noticed about my moon placement and Keshul and I both have a Pisces moon. So we talk a lot about this is having um, a Pisces moon is, it's a water sign, but the modality is also mutable. So you can think of it as moving water. And the Pisces archetype is linked to intuition. Um, It's also considered one of the more emotional signs. And instinctually, we tend to want to merge with other in this way, emotionally merge with other in this way. But the shadow side of that can also be or an inability to not be able to differentiate what our emotions are versus somebody else's emotions. But there's also this sense of 
really being able to connect and really be able to empathize with others. And that is where a lot of the strong suits come in with the Pisces archetype is that profound consideration for how others feel. And I'm sure Keshul, you can add a lot (laughs) to that, to the Pisces archetype itself. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, it's just helpful to hear you say it because I resonate with so much of it. I think the only little piece that comes up to me, it's a wee different as I have, um, a, a goddess there or Lilith is there. And so one of the things that comes to mind with that Pisces moon with Lilith is I really feel like I can be the projection of other people's emotions too. And I can really internalize that. And so it working with boundaries, I think is really important or has been a big part of my work with the Pisces moon is just really being able to discern between self and other. And I get lots of practice again, bringing up my profession as a psychotherapist is just really having to be mindful of that. Because I think when I was younger, I really got lost in that and I couldn't anchor into some of my other identities as much, especially because for you and I, Jazz, we have it in the seventh house of relationships. So um, that was just some Mm -hmm. more that came up. Yeah. But I think it's worth looking at some of the other elements and and modalities for the moon because um, it's just... It's so perplexed. The moon can be so perplexed. It's hard to. Yeah, I think the moon fully in particular, like yeah. being so like watery and flowy and emotional, being in Pisces, which is this like space of just like no limits. And um, yeah, I, I remember there's no, there's boundaries. no boundaries. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's almost it's just like more intense even than having the moon in Cancer or something. You know, it's just like whoa, like that ocean just expanded into like other planetary spheres. Okay, just like it's so broad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, yeah, I do think like looking at it in terms of elements is interesting. We don't have anyone here with an earth moon, um, but we, have, we cover everything else. Um, I feel like there was something else I was going to say about the moon, but I forget. So Eliza, I interrupted you. No, we just spoke at the same time. <laughs> um, I like to think of the moon sometimes as almost our infant consciousness, our our infant instincts. It's pre-thought. Yeah. It's pre-ego in a way. I feel like the sun's ego. <laughs> the sun yeah. wants to be loved um, or wants to do its thing. But the, the moon precedes all of that. It's like our our instincts that we do to some extent have to manage. Um, you were speaking before about managing your Mars. But I think we can think the same with the moon. Um, if you have a moon, well, (laughs) I'll I'll use an autobiographical example. I have an Aries moon and my, my instinct, my impulse is to go first (laughs) to, or to move quickly to cut people off. If I'm cycling or walking on the street, like my carriage in space is very direct and Mars like, and I have had a friend like stop me and be like whoa you just totally cut that person you just walked right through that person (laughs) like she wasn't there and my response to that was oh no I saw her I just like I saw this face and I went around her if she got freaked out 
It's her problem. <laughs> I knew what I was doing. Anyway, so it's for me, reigning in my moon, my aggressive moon, is like actually looking to that counterpoint or looking to that, uh, the, that counterpoint of Libra then and sort of making an effort to let someone else go first or to let someone else speak first, but it's an effort and it doesn't always happen as evidenced by this episode in part. Um, it's like the instinct is to, to, um, to act like the, the impulse for me is to act and the moon, you know, relating to emotions and to needs, I'm profoundly uncomfortable with, um, with, with negative emotion (laughs) and I don't like I don't know how to wallow in it I you know if I'm feeling a negative emotion I need to move that by doing something um if I've been dumped I'm immediately needing somebody else not to be with them I'm I I tend to be single but just to like (laughs) feel desirable and move on It's like there's no there's no period where I'm like, oh, woe is me. It's like, no, woe is that sucked and let's move on. Yeah. So the opposite well, of Pisces. Say, you said something really profound there about the counterpoint, right? Finding that polarity. And um, that's one thing that, you know, people that are new to astrology can start to look at is what that counterpoint is in their chart, what that polarity is. Because for the Piscean archetype, it's Virgo. And Virgo is very much about finding the container, finding the systematic approach and how to reel it all in. And how do we balance the two? And that's very much what the angles are in the chart too. It's like those polarity points and looking to see like what they are and knowing how to work with them and finding that sweet spot in between is what creates that feeling of, of wholeness and feeling, you know, the vitality of your sun sign, for example. Um, and I just wanted to add that in. And, and I was wondering, Keshul, if you wanted to add anything more about like the boundary piece or the polarity point for the Pisces moon or any polarity points for, for that matter. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really great just hint to give people is to, you know, always look mm-hmm. at the polarity of whatever sign. Um, but I think what I wanted to add was I just love how Eliza was um, highlighting this instinct or these core emotions because it made me start thinking about our nervous systems and how automatic they are. And really, truly what kicks in for all of us first, we actually don't have immediate control of it. Perhaps we can get control of it by taking a deep inhale and exhale and deciding how we want to respond or those core emotions. And um, it's just something we can be mindful to then kick in that, you know, more rational mind of, I don't know, maybe sometimes that could be applied to the sun, but it's, it's then integrating those emotional parts or those core emotion parts. And it also makes me think that the moon is also the body or soma as well. And just the hints that we can get from our moon, depending on how we're feeling in our body. Um, So that just really brought something alive to me is the more we get to know our emotional instincts or whatever that really can help us navigate into that polarity point. 
as well as for support. Um, and sometimes seeking somebody of the opposite polarity can be the grounding force. Like for me, being with really earthy signs and who don't just flood themselves with emotions can really ground me and stabilize me in a way that's important. Yeah, and I think too, like not only seeking people out with those polarities, but I think those pola- those people with those polarities find us all the time. Like I'm, I'm shocked yeah, by... Yeah, we attract them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like my entire friend group is you know like they're all Aquarius is like okay that's like I'm a Leo like it's just always there's always these very specific types of people and that and that can evolve too over time you know like um I was gonna say too about the moon well I wanted to say a bunch of stuff about the moon was I I think the moon is a very good tool to use because its cycle is sort of so quick um it's just like a really interesting tool to use Mm -hmm. to learn about oneself I think um, and like, yeah, I, I have a Libra moon, uh, and I associated. So when I was first learning astrology, mostly what I saw expressed through my Libra moon was like codependency. Like that's like the only archetype I could understand. Like I just didn't understand how it was showing up for me in my life or how it could even be beneficial. Like I was just coming out of this really awful period of being in all these toxic relationships and feeling like, oh my God, I'm so fucked. Um, And so I actually, at the retreat that we all went to, our astrology retreat, I remember setting an intention that starting at that retreat and beyond, basically just like asking the universe to help inform me about my moon. And one of the tools that I utilized was tracking lunar returns. So what was happening at the very moment, like the minute, because that cycle is so quick, like what was happening the very moment the moon and the sky met up with my natal moon? Um, and I remember doing this three months in a row and all Mm -hmm. three of these events had very, very similar expressions. They're all super casual events in my life, right? Like the moon goes so quickly that we don't necessarily notice what's happening or how it's affecting us. Um, but all three of those incidents had to do with interpersonal like interactions and, and actually they were all with strangers is how it, how it manifested for me. Um, and recognizing that I had this sort of very keen ability to sort of relate to and communicate with like anybody at any time. Like I was, it was very easy for me. Like if I think about Libra two as like sort of the liminal space between two people, like what is that? <laughs> like what's the thing that's happening between two people in a relationship? And, you know, I think even with my podcast, like being able to sit down and make someone feel comfortable and talking to them in a in an intimate, real way um, felt very Libra to me. And, and through tracking that cycle, it really helped me to evolve this idea that I had about my moon from like severe, just like codependent nonsense to like pretty profound, yeah, interpersonal skills and um I think uh, another mm-hmm. woman who was in our apprenticeship, Whitney, she said something about Libra being um, like just being able to withstand, like having a lot of relationship stamina. That's what she said. And I thought that made so much sense to me. Just like I've always also, again, like moon in the seventh. So ruled by Libra. There's a lot of ongoing relationships in my life, but I think even beyond just like relationships or romance or anything like that. It is, it just says something about partnership for me. Like I really like being in a partnership. Like that just feels Mm -hmm. like it makes sense. Um, 
And yeah, I don't know if it's worth mentioning too. Like we, we talk about, you know, every, all planets have planetary nodes, but we tend to focus on the note, the lunar nodes the most. And like, if we think about the moon as our sort of soul expression, like how, how is the sort of path of our life and evolution of our moon in some way, um, which is probably way too broad of a discussion for this, but, but yeah, really thinking of like the moon as this very inner deep, um, and I, I think too, like one of the reasons I was interested to learn about all my Aries stuff, which is in opposition to Libra stuff is because on the inside and in, in the, you know, I was always like a people pleaser and just like never wanted anyone to be mad at me and like, just like always wanted to be the good girl. And it was like, whoa, okay. So I have all this, you know, this Mars stuff, but which is on the outside, but my inner experience feels so relational and so tied to my surroundings and mm-hmm. affected by my surroundings and, um, so I think that's a good example of how the moon, like, that's not what you show up displaying at a party at all. You know, that's, that's your inner private world. Yeah. And it, and I loved how you brought up the example of the lunar returns. Cause I think the moon is something that's so practical too, for people to work with, because it does t- change signs every two and a half days. You can think about what's going on in each sign and utilize that energy. And so, um, you can be more mindful of maybe your internal needs during that time because, but what I've discovered is, um, it can really highlight my dream world. And it also can highlight to me, sometimes I'll make a decision when my moon, for example, is in Pisces, and I'm really wanting to connect with people. And then by the time it gets to Aries, I just want to be by myself. So just that's a good way to track and kind of plan what you want to do as well. um, And what kind of rituals you want to bring in, which might segue in a little bit to I know we wanted to talk about this full moon in Cancer. Well, I I think a a good segue to that segue, too, is um, looking at the moon's relationship with the sun and how Mm -hmm. So we've been so far focusing Mm -hmm. our conversation around the moon through the signs. But you can also just look at the visible, um, the visible shape of the moon in the sky. And tonight, if if you have clear skies where you are, if you well, I don't know when your release is on yet, but when we're recording it on the 29th of December, we'll see a very full moon in the sky. It's full in Eastern time around 10.30 p.m. And so in Pacific, around 7.30 p.m. Regardless, it'll look full everywhere. Um, and the full moon, uh, the full moon's mood is very different from, say, a dark moon period where you can't see the moon at all or for the moon where it's just whittling, the crescent is just whittling into nothingness that has more of, in my mind, almost a Piscean quality of just kind of merging with ether or, or mer- merging with shadow or the dark in a way. Um, and so in your natal chart, if you know the position of your sun and your moon, you, you know what lunar phase you were born in. If you have um, your sun in Virgo and your, the moon's in Pisces, you know you're born at a full moon. If you have your sun in Virgo and your moon in Sagittarius, you would have been born in a waxing, like half moon phase. Um, so there are various ways that you can find out the exact degree and exactly what phase you're in, but it's it can be useful information to know on a basic level whether your natal moon is waxing or waning. I think that can yeah. communicate a lot energetically. Like my, I ha- I was born at a a waxing first quarter, which means it technically it's a trine between the moon and the sun, but it was, um, 
is a few days before fullness. And I feel like my life is just eternally hustling. Like that's what I'm here to do is just to hustle. I'll never stop hustling. (laughs) I'll always have like 18 side gigs. (laughs) There's no rest. Yeah. I have the same. I'm a first quarter waxing moon and I agree. I think, I mean, there's a lot in my chart that's that sort of like, like even Venus and Mars all sort of have in terms of their cycle, very initiatory energy. Um, but yeah, me too. It's just like this like constant um, movement and like cre- creative output, really, um, to the point of exhaustion sometimes. <laughs> and it also can determine how you feel during the different mm-hmm. phases of the moon cycle. Because I was born near a full moon. And like, for example, right now I have high energy. My emotions tend to be higher um, anxiety levels tend to (laughs) be higher too, but during a new moon, I feel very just, uh, relaxed and mellow. And, um, I don't actually notice the new Mm -hmm. moon near as much as I do the full moon. So I think that also plays into how important it is to find out which phase you were born in. Yeah. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. and just to reiterate to you, I think, because it moves as quickly as it does, like if you have your chart in front of you and you just track where that moon hits, like it's going to hit everything in your chart in a 30 day period, um, 27, 28 day period. So really like being able to see like, okay, the moon's sort of like illuminating my first house on the planets there. Like, what do I feel? What's going on? It's such a, um, yeah, very, again, it's, it's a quick transit. So you're not going to have like normally life changing long-term events take place, but just in terms of like really picking up on that energy and how that energy expresses itself, like in your daily life in like any minute is a really cool experiment. Like I, oh, on any time the moon passes my first house and conjuncts my ascendant or my Mars, like that's a grumpy day. Like <laughs> I'm just in a more like, like don't cross me because I'll probably get frustrated like or it's a very you know like a, a lot's going on that day like there's just like a lot of activity and a lot of like creation and a lot of whatever because of that initiatory uh, Mary stuff but yeah it's a it's a really cool tool um so yeah let's talk about the moon today I do I'm going to release this today that's going to be my <laughs> My very Mars on my ascendant activity is like releasing the podcast the day we record it. Um, but I think it makes sense. And I, w- I would love people to sort of think about cancer a bit more. Um, so, yeah, why don't we talk a bit about um, this energy today and maybe how it interacts with all of our charts. Um, but before we do that, I really have to pee. <laughs> so is it OK if we take a short pee break? Yes. <laughs> Are you going to pause the recording or is everyone going to hear it? I mean, it's in the other room. You probably are not going to hear it. (laughs) I'm going to go pee too. I'll just pee right here. (laughs) Okay. So I feel like the fact that I like had to go empty my bladder was like a very sort of like cancer full moon moment. It's just too much like So cancer. Which happened for me like, okay, so we'll just like start here. I, well, actually, no, let's back up. Let's not be like totally focused on me so I, I just wanted to mention like for people <laughs> Mars on the ascendant <laughs> I have so much to say um yeah uh but so I just wanted to say like briefly about like a full moon for people um like a lot of people don't understand I don't think like necessarily the the moon cycle in terms of 
I mean, obviously, this is all up to personal, you know, interpretation and personal desire is how you want to use a lunar cycle. But I did just want to mention that, you know, normally, if you do want to create a ritual around the moon cycle, that you sort of like set an intention or a goal around the new moon, sort of reflecting on whatever themes you that are prominent in astrology or just in general, like newness and new cycles um, and sort of like the the blooming of whatever that intention was um, or just the first growth, the first expression of it, sort of thinking about that on a full moon. Um, I think a lot of people like don't know, like <laughs> when do you set intentions and when do you just like relax and like what do you do? So the full moon is definitely like the blossoming of a thing, not necessarily like the initiatory energy of a thing. Um, and uh, yeah, figure like figuring out where the new moons occur in what sign. And then obviously the full moons are always going to recur in the opposing sign. Um, but reflecting on that as its own archetype. So like, what does a cancer full moon mean? But then also where does that moon, full moon, new moon fall in your natal chart? Um, so yeah, so cancer, does someone just talk a bit about cancer in general? <laughs> Sensy, <laughs> moody, <laughs> nurturing, yeah. deep, intuitive. Um, I think very much needing alone time. In addition to that nurturing, I think they can be protective as well. Enjoys being at home, perhaps. Um, I know for me, it takes place in my 11th house, so really connecting with close friends and my tribe during this time and being nurturing to them, some of what's coming up. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think, too, just like we talked about the moon a bit, so like thinking about like this sort of archetypal container for the moon being cancer, you know, like the place that the moon lives. Um, so yeah, a lot of those same similar themes about like comfort and nurturing and home and uh yeah I, I mean definitely like the feminine like I have to go there um, it's a very feminine archetype for me so if we are talking about you know whether we're talking about women or we're talking about mothers or we're talking about just like and the energetic divine feminine this to me is very very prominent in cancer um uh yeah what else <laughs> It's important to note that cancer is ruled, the moon is ruled by right, cancer. Right. So a lot of the same metaphors and that we were describing earlier, it, it all pertains archetypally to what's happening today as far as the cancer full moon. Right. Um, and, and how it shows up for me is obviously by doing this podcast and Keshrel and I are both Virgo rising, so all of our house placements are, are the same. And so this full moon is happening in my 11th house, and the 11th house is associated with groups and how we interact with tribe. And what I've noticed about full and new moons is they're, they're so literal. I mean, it's just literal to be sitting here doing this podcast with you ladies, for women, yeah. <laughs> too, and... Um, even even the cyclical nature of, of the lunar cycle and the fact that we all met and studied astrology together and now we're doing a podcast about astrology two years later has this very profound cyclical 
identity to what these moon cycles really, really mean. Mm -hmm. And, um, and highlighting the fact that it's, uh, in my 11th house in, in a group setting is, it's pretty interesting and fascinating. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like something's really (laughs) blossoming and taking form and, you know, I think it's interesting to note we'll be in the fullness and then we'll be disseminating this energy, right? Then the moon will start to wane and it's something that we're coming together to collaborate on and then share. Yeah, like whatever blossoms or whatever comes to culmination, then it's nice in, in my mind as it starts to wane to then share it with the collective, which also speaks very much to our 11th house and... Yeah, being able to literally live out our moon today, or this moon today, for Jazz and I. But I'd be curious what your expression or where it's showing up for both of you. Yeah, well, I do think, like, just before that, like, the commentary about, you know, cycles. And obviously, all of these planets, like, there are so many different cycles we can look at. Um you know, cycles of planets transiting our natal chart, cycles of planets just transiting out there, um, moon cycles, like there's so many different ways. And I think what I like about it and why I like astrology in particular is just because of its, of those cycles and seeing time as a cycle and sort of seeing like that all of these, like for us, you know, two years ago, we basically graduated from this apprenticeship. And then like two cycles later of that same moon cycle, here we are like talking about astrology um, on that on that full moon. Um, So it is cool to see how these things build, like you don't ever return to the same place, like it's archetypally similar, but it always, you know, whether we're moving forward or digressing, like it is always a it's building. Um, And I think that's really a cool way to track evolution and change and um and even just like celebrate every step of the journey you know like when you can understand what a cycle is and you can see it being expressed in your life then like you're not really no you're not really concerned anymore about like where you're what the the goal is or like the highest expression it's just sort of cool to see it keep evolving um so yeah for me I don't know I um I have Venus conjunct Chiron in Cancer, which is like a lot of the energy in my chart is very potent. Like every aspect of it just is like super strong uh, for various reasons. But yeah, certainly that it's on um, on my IC, which uh, is basically like if you think about how to describe this on a podcast without a visual, Um, you know, if you think about like the farthest, highest point in the sky, being like you know above the horizon the IC is what's on the other side so like the deepest sort of most intimate um private area which I have Venus conjunct Chiron in Cancer um so yeah sort of anytime anything occurs uh in that area of my chart I would say certainly is most prominently associated with that part like the opposition and Capricorn as well but you know, okay. So for example, (laughs) I just enrolled in a course to learn about tea ceremonies and like how to start my own tea practice. So I enrolled in that class yesterday, which is like super Cancerian. Um, I'm currently wearing a blue oversized onesie 
also super considering the reason i had to pee is because i was just chugging tea um and today a king size bed frame arrives because we just got a king size mattress but i've been sleeping on the floor so it's just like so much for me and i think i think a lot of that again is because i have venus um which i think is about you know a lot of core needs like it's more of the feminine archetype a lot to do with like intimacy and closeness and love and Chiron being the wounded healer, certainly something I've struggled with in terms of like finding that safety and nurturance in my past, but learning how to not only cultivate that in my own life, but um, how to bring that to the world, which is again, like for me, sort of cultivating the feminine, like um, uh, female relationships and even like Mother Earth in a way. There's this very nurturing, bringing people together energy. So the fact that we're all doing this podcast is also to be very literal. Um, but yeah, it's just like one thing after another for me. And, you know, whenever the moon passes that part of my chart, I feel like I am able to locate some of these themes, but when it is a full moon and it's happening right on my Venus Chiron, that makes it even more prominent. So hence all these like extremely literal expressions going on. I love that too, as the natural, um, marriage or bridge between your Libra and your Aries. I was thinking about that yeah. when you were when you were talking about that opposition and how your solution of that is to find this like middle way and it seems to me mm. that Venus Chiron on your IC is that middle way. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um so what about you and all your cancer in your chart? <laughs> oh yeah, all my all my voluminous <laughs> cancer in the 12. Well, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> it's a barren closet over here. <laughs> I'll be crooning with the moon on my own. (laughs) No, um, yeah, Cancer is probably the archetype I resonate the least with. (laughs) It's like, I don't even want to resonate with it. It's so... (laughs) I don't know why I'm, like, so curmudgeonly today. (laughs) Why? 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 Why don't you want to merge? (laughs) No, let, let me tell you what I appreciate about Cancer. (laughs) (laughs) no i I really appreciate it in other people it's just like it's it's not in me i just don't have it in me i'm not i'm not cancerian and it's for me it's my 12th house and we've been talking about the 12th as being this kind of blind spot and it's it's like a you know it's a point of comedy really me me and cancer um my boyfriend was trying to serve soup that we attempted to make in my house, which has very few, very few cooking implements, like three years after living here. And he's just like, do you have a ladle? And I was just like, no, (laughs) why would I have a ladle? ladle. (laughs) (laughs) I had a measuring cup and you could use that as a ladle. But I mean, he actually had to throw, no, not throw up. He had such fierce judgment over these like pans that I had in my cupboard that I inherited from an old roommate because I've never bothered to buy myself cooking equipment. <laughs> and he's just like, you're going to die from how gross these pans are. <laughs> and he gave me so much shit that finally we just went out and bought some new pans. And by new pans, I mean like the bare minimum of what I need, like one frying pan. Yeah. And that's what I do all my cooking in. And I did throw out the, but that was the first, I'm 33, ladies and gentlemen, and that was the first time I've ever bought myself a cooking pan. 
I've lived on my own for a long time. Like it's, this is what I mean. It's just not the language I speak in. I don't speak in the language of home or cooking or right. care, which or is like, yeah. meanwhile, that's what also... Anya's been doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. But that's so, yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't stop cooking. Um, but yeah, that's like, it's such a good, I mean, for us, I think we, for whatever reason, like we have sort of the opposite expression of this, like. <laughs> I cannot, like, all I do is bake and stay in the kitchen and, like, am obsessed. I just got a, a walk. That was a good, that was a good investment. Um, but, yeah, it is, it is fascinating. Like, I always think about Eliza and the empty fridge. Like, that's such a cancer in the Peripherally. 12th image to me. Um, but whereas also, mine's, like, overflowing. I had, really I had a full fridge <laughs> and a full, like, pantry. during the holidays because people brought food to me (laughs) it gave me so much anxiety it was just like I need to now eat all of this methodically and get it out of my fridge because I I don't know why it's just not my natural state but I do I really do appreciate other people having that impulse and that that skill it's just not my own um and same with children. Like I, I, I interact with children like they're adults. Like I, I'm friends with adults and I'm friends with children, but I, I'm not a mother to children. I'm not even right. a mother to like the foster cats. I'm like a sister to the foster cats that come through my house. Or you're like a, you're like a fellow cat. I'm, a, I'm basically a cat. Yeah. <laughs> I have the cooking skills of a cat and I like puddles of sunlight. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I didn't mean to be so snarky. I, I really like, I really appreciate cancer in other people, but it's just not in me. It's just, it really is a barren closet. I really wish I could give you some of mine. <laughs> Someday. Well, it's when well, my progressed moon moves into cancer and I, sometime in 2021, that'll be terrifying. I mean, maybe I'll start embodying these archetypes. Maybe I'll stay home and cook. Yeah. But maybe you can talk a little bit about, like, the nurturing side of your personality, though, because we all do nurture something. It just depends on what it is, what we choose it to be. And I do see you nurturing the way you write. (laughs) And that's a very... No, I'm, I'm serious. That's a very 12th right. house activity, yeah. right? We're talking about the 12th house. It's something that you do alone. It's your, you know, you have this process with your, you have a creative process with the way you approach writing your books. Mm-hmm. And that's where I see you nurturing that quality of, of your creative process. But maybe you can talk a little bit about that because I do see you as a nurturer. It just isn't in the same context as you know, say Anya or Kestrel, for example. Yeah. I mean, I also have my moons in the ninth. And so I think what nourishes me is, is books actually. And like where I feel really hungry, it's to learn Mm -hmm. and to take courses and to uh, expand in a very ninth house way. Um, And yes, that's true in terms of being, in some ways being nurtured, like my, my nurturing happens in the dark where no one, no one else can see it, or where no one else has access to it. I think the 12th house is a place that other people don't really have access to. Uh, and it's not visible. I think that, um, 
Yeah, I'm not like not nurturing at all. It's just the the receiving end of that nurturance isn't always organic matter. Um, and I think it's like, you know, I can be very caring and I think caring, I am very caring, but it's not in a maternal way. It's like in a sororal way or as a friend or as an ally or as a cat. (laughs) It's not, um, necessarily coming from like a mama bear place. What's, what's amusing or what's interesting in terms of a theme in my writing is that I notice my favorite like character type to write is the bad mom. I, and I realized it's actually like a projection of how I imagine I would be as a mother <laughs> as being totally sloppy and just like a bad mother who's more focused on their creative endeavors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's cool to me cause I'm so sort of like obsessed with and interested in community and like living reciprocally. And, you know, one of the things I think that astrology does is it helps us understand what we're really good at and what our skills are and what we're not so good at and where our skills are not. And sometimes that means, you know, like maybe working to cultivate some of those things we're not so great at and maybe not focusing so much on the things that we already know we know how to do. Um, But when it comes to interpersonal relationships, like I always think like, okay, if I had a bunch of friends that lived all around me, like I would definitely be the one in the kitchen. At mm-hmm. least that would be one of my roles, you know? Um, and that isn't everybody's role, but like, if it was, that would be awful. You know, I want someone else to tend the garden. Like I don't, I would love to eat whatever food someone hunts, but like, I don't want to be the one that does the hunting, you know? Um, so it's just so helpful um, in, you know, in, in immediate relationships, romantic relationships and children and all of that, but even thinking more broadly in terms of like friends and community, it's, it's like, you know, we all have these different energies showing up at different levels because that's what works. You know, I think we're a communal species. So it's like, that's, that's helpful actually. (laughs) Um, so yeah. I'll wash your dishes, Anya. Perfect. Oh, I hate washing dishes. I actually really like washing dishes. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) I'm very clean. I can clean things. Does that count as Mm -hmm. nurturance? I don't know. Yeah. 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 It's a home scale. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I guess like the other point I wanted to make too, you know, is, uh, I mean, it's interesting because I think it's one thing people use to critique astrology because there's like so much multivalence and like you can find we can find nurturing in more places in the chart than just like where cancer or the moon is or what you have in your fourth, you know, like there are so many, like Jasmine was saying before we started recording that, you know, for her, the sun, moon and rising, it's like, they're all connected to each other. It's very hard to parse out like one little thing in a chart without seeing it in relationship to everything else in the chart. Like that's just how charts work. Um, so there are so many different ways to come at these archetypes and to see them, you know, through our own experience. Like I too, when you said that thing about Jasmine feeling like safe and comfortable in water, like I take two baths a day pretty much. And I see that through my Venus Chiron and, um, in cancer, like my North node in Pisces, like there is just like a comforting spiritual aspect to water. So yeah, I just wanted to mention that. I think, um, you know, there, there is a downside per- perhaps to the amount of different kinds of interpretations one can add to any part of a chart, but also 
realizing that like we are just made up of all of these archetypes, all of us in different configurations, but we have all of it inside somewhere. It just appears differently. Happy full moon. Thank you. You too. <laughs> I hope someone else cooks you a meal. <laughs> TBD. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you all again for taking the time to come on this podcast. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing whatever the next iteration of our, of our like recurring podcast will be. Um, but yeah, very, very grateful and cool to share space with you on this day in particular. Thank you so much for having us, Anya. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And of course, everyone can find you guys at cosmic tonic yeah i feel warm and fuzzy <laughs> um yeah i'm not gonna make you guys all say books again we've done that already if you want to hear all of their book recommendations although i do have to say one of you recommended i think jasmine you recommended cosmos and psyche as your book the last time you guys were on the show and it is what we are all now reading for our book club so that's cool um it's nice. Yeah. I, saw yeah. <laughs> I was like just waiting for someone to recommend it so that I could read it in the book club. That's the truth. Um, <laughs> I would have done it anyway. But yeah, so you guys can all be found at cosmictonic.com. Is that the best? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Love to you all. Until next time. Bye. Cards. Love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hello again. Thank you for listening to that episode. Um, Please visit CosmicTonic.com if you want to learn more about Jasmine, Kestrel, and Eliza. Maybe get a reading from them. Um, And also head over to Patreon.com slash Anya Kotz if you want to join the Patreon community and take the Astrology 101 course on January 5th. I'm going to play you out today with a song called Crying Woman by Holly Aerosmith because truly nothing says Cancer Full Moon more than a crying woman. Enjoy. Talk to you soon. Pretend she's looking out the window down on
Still.